table is about coming before the Lord, loving God and loving people. And we're going to get into that a little bit more, but uh, what I want to start with is the big picture, and then we'll come into uh, God's plan with the church and also with the communion table. In the big picture, God, out of his overflowing generosity and love, created this world, and he created uh, man and woman in his image. And man and woman, they, at one point, they had a decision, whether to disobey or to obey God, and they decided to reject God's authority over them in their life and make themselves their own king, displace God from the throne of their life, and they became the king of their own life. And so they disconnected themselves from the source of life. But God, again, out of his overflowing generosity and love, he was not okay with having man reject and cut off from him. And so the story of the Bible is really the story of God reaching down and trying to initiate relationship with man again. And so this is what we're kind of going over the big picture here. And we can see this, I'll just bring up a few examples in the scriptures. Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and he says to him, leave your country, your family, your father's home and for, uh, for a land that I will show you. And here's God's promise to Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation and bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I'll curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And so God comes down. He initiates relationship with one man. He says, through this one man, you're going to have a family. That family's going to become a nation. And I'm going to use that nation to be a light to the world. And so we come uh, a little bit later in the story to Exodus, where uh, Moses is the leader of God's people. And this is Abraham's family, which has now become a nation, which was called the Israelites. And uh, God says this to Moses. He says, this is what you are to say, Moses, you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you were to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So we see here again God's covenant to Abraham. And then he uh, promises also to the Israelites that he's going to make them a nation that will bless the world. And he will make them a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Uh, and so... God calls out a people for himself. He calls out um, a people for his own possession, as Titus 2.14 tells us. Uh, and really, church is the word for called out, a people who are called out. Comes, we'll, we'll talk about that later. It comes from the Greek word uh, ecclesia, which is where we get the word ecclesial or ecclesiology, the study of the church. Uh, and so in the Old Testament, where God has called out Abraham and God has called out the Israelites, this is really the inception of the church, a people who God is calling to himself to bring redemption to the world. And so we see that Adam and Eve, they failed. They rejected God. But the Israelites, they also failed, and they rejected God as their king. And God sent them into exile. And so just as Adam failed, Israel failed. <clears throat> but... God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come into this earth and to uh, be the second Adam that would not fail and to live the life that God intended for us to live and to be the second Moses 
where Moses failed and could not bring the people of Israel into the promised land. Jesus is, it says in Acts, is the second Moses that would not fail to bring us into the promised land. Jesus is also the new Israel. He goes through the temptation in Matthew 4. We see, and he does not fail in the desert where Israel failed in the desert. Uh, and so Jesus comes and he came to die so that we might have life. And he came uh, to live. And, and, sorry, he came to be rejected so that we might be accepted. Uh, and so Jesus also calls 12 new uh, Israelites. He calls 12 new uh, people of Israel who are the apostles to be the new Israel. And Jesus promises to build his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we know that God's plan through the church is to bring redemption to the, to the world. And God will not fail. And so we see that the church is actually a glimpse of the kingdom of God established on earth. Uh, and it will be completed in the last days. The church is really the beginning. It's the vanguard of the kingdom. It's the guarantee that the fullness of the kingdom will come. And the kingdom of God is already here, manifest in the church. But it's not fully here. And Revelation tells us what the future will look like here. In this regard, it says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That is the future. That's what's going to happen. Uh, that's what God has, has instituted the church, and it is coming to this place where the kingdom of the world will, uh, the kingdom of the world will go away, and the kingdom of the Lord and of His Christ will come, and that will be a glorious day. <laughs> and so now we come to what is the church? Again, there's the the Greek word ecclesia. Simply put, we can say that the church is the community of believers for all time. Uh, so some have said in church history, the church militant and the church triumphant. The church militant is those who are still on earth fighting the good fight. And the church triumphant are those who are already in the presence of Christ. Uh, and so, yeah, ecclesia, the church is really, it's the, the people who are summoned together. It's a, a called gathering of people. And in Hebrews 11 and 12, it actually talks about the great cloud of witnesses that we are surrounded by, the church is surrounded by. And it goes all the way back to Abraham and Enoch and Noah uh, and these great people of the faith who are included in the cloud of witnesses. And so the church exists to give embodiment to the desires of God in this world. The church exists to give embodiment, to embody the desires of God in this world, to enflesh, we could say, the desires of God in this world. Uh, the church is also God's promise to Abraham fulfilled. God promised that through your descendants, you will be a blessing to the whole world. And in Galatians, it talks about how those uh, who are of faith are children of Abraham. We are of faith. We are children of Abraham. The church is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that the world will be blessed. The church is also the continued presence of Christ on earth. And we're going to get more to that in the, in this, in the communion here. Uh, the church is the inbreaking of the kingdom. Um, and uh, someone said, to receive salvation from God is to be inserted into a body animated by the spirit of God. It is the body of Christ. And so uh, you cannot be an individual person saved and outside the church. It's, it's to be uh, saved by God means you are brought into a family. Uh, here's a few more metaphors that the, the Bible, the New Testament talks about. 
The church is called a family. It's called the bride of Christ. Uh, branches on the vine of Jesus, an olive tree, a field of crops, a building harvest, a new temple built with living stones, a new group of priests, God's house, the pillar and bulwark of truth, the body of Christ. And the church is constituted by baptism, the preaching of the word, and the Eucharist, or the communion table. The we'll, we'll talk about the Eucharist more later. The Eucharist is the old word, meaning thanksgiving. This is the table of thanksgiving. Uh, but baptism is what initiates one into the church, into the family of God. Just as you go down into the water, you are united to the death of Jesus, and you raise up out of the water, you are united to the resurrection of Jesus, and you become one with him and come into his family and into his body. And so someone has said that the God is our father and the church is our mother. And so in that sense, we are reared up and we have our new life in our baptism, in our initiation into the church. Um, and so, um, baptism is a sacrament, and um, the Eucharist here, the table, the communion, is also a sacrament. And many of us might be wondering, what is a sacrament? And so, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, a sacrament and symbol overlap in some ways, but they're very uh, different in a very important way. And so, a symbol is as a sign that points to uh, a distant reality. So for example, we go out here and we start heading to Nelson and you'll see the sign Nelson so many kilometers. And it'll say, um, but Nelson is just, that sign Nelson is just a symbol pointing to the reality of what Nelson is, the city of Nelson. That sign uh, is different from the reality of what Nelson is. But a sacrament, is where the sign, the symbol, and the reality co-inhere. They come together. There's overlap there. Uh, and so the Protestants generally think that there are two sacraments, and uh, we'll have a, a list here. They focus on baptism and the Lord's Supper. Catholics focus on seven sacraments. They focus on baptism, confirmation, uh, which is like catechism, which is like discipleship. Uh, the Eucharist, uh, which is communion, matrimony, which is marriage, holy orders, which are uh, like going into priesthood or becoming a nun, confession, and anointing the sick. The Orthodox, however, they don't think that uh, you can really number the sacraments. You, they basically think anything the church does is a sacrament. Uh, it can't really be classified. But a sacrament, people have said, is really a visible sign of an invisible grace. And so we can see here... The Lord's Supper is a visible sign. It's visible. It's uh, material uh, bread and material wine. Uh, but there is an invisible grace there where God comes and meets us in this place. And he comes and meets us in baptism as well. Uh, and so by understanding uh, sacrament in this way, that sacrament isn't detached from the reality of what we're doing here, but it, it comes together and participates in the reality of Christ. By understanding sacrament in this way, what we're doing is we're really avoiding two extremes. The one extreme on the one hand is, is regarding the Eucharist here as merely symbol, as only a, a, a sign pointing to something else but disconnected from the reality of Christ. And if in that paradigm, we're not actually feeding on Christ, as John 6 tells us, Jesus says that we're actually to feed on him, that he is the manna that we eat come down from heaven 
so in that, in, in, in regarding this only as a symbol, we, we are remembering something done for us, which is good, but the sacrament of communion is so much more than that. Uh, and so on the other hand, what we're avoiding is uh, what some Catholics do is they regard the elements here as becoming the uh, body and blood of Jesus Christ, and so that they, they put the elements on equal plane with Jesus. Uh, and so they say that what we're participating here is uh, the same level as Jesus Christ. Uh, there's not something greater that we're participating in. And so the sacrament and the reality um, come to the same place. Uh, but Jesus, the reality of Jesus, is greater than this sacrament. Uh, this is a window of grace before us that we get to be continually nourished by Christ. It's uh, a place where his grace comes and meets us in a special way. Now, when we're talking about the Eucharist, I said we'd explain it a little bit more. Uh, the Eucharist was first used by Justin Martyr. He was a Christian apologist, someone who defended the faith publicly in the second century. Uh, so that's roughly even less than 100 years after Jesus uh, was on earth. Um, Justin Martyr said, called this the Eucharist feast or the Eucharist celebration. And again, Eucharist means thanksgiving. And, um, and so in the early days of the church, there was a huge feast. A fe when you think of feast, you think of a party, you think of lots of food, you think of a big celebration. And, and really that's what the Eucharist was. It was a celebration of the people of God coming together and feasting um, and, and recognizing the grace that the Lord is giving us and we get to participate in his life. Now, uh, someone, famously, someone famously said, I better go back, uh, that the Eucharist makes the church. The Eucharist makes the church. And that might sound a little bit confusing, uh, but I'm going to explain that through uh, one text of Paul. But to help us explain that, I want us to uh, look at the three bodies of Jesus Christ. The three bodies of Jesus Christ. First, we have the historical body, where Jesus lived on earth and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. There's the Eucharistic body of Jesus, which is right here before us at the table. And then there's the ecclesial body. The ecclesi remember, again, from that Greek word ecclesia, meaning the church. We are the people of God. We are the body of Christ. And so there are these three bodies. Now, when we come to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, which I, I think it might be... There we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says this. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. This is talking about the Eucharistic body here. One loaf. We who are many, that is us, the ecclesial body of Christ. We who are many are one body for we all share one loaf. And so what Paul is doing here is he's bringing the Eucharistic body and the ecclesial body and putting them together and saying this is one body. Uh, and so in that way, we can see uh, that we are what we eat or we are becoming the body of Christ as we partake of the sacrament. Um, so St. Augustine, he put it this way, if you receive them well, that is the elements here, the Eucharist, if you receive them well, you are yourselves what you receive. You see, the apostle says, we being many are one loaf. And so when we take the Eucharist, something is happening to us. We are becoming one body. 
us together here in this church, uh, but also with Christ. We are all becoming one. Um, John actually puts it a little differently here when Jesus is speaking. Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So again, when we're taking part of the Eucharist meal, that is what's giving us life. Whoever eats my flesh has no eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So again, the idea here is that as we feed on the bread of Christ, that we will live. Something is happening to us. And I know in some circles people think that uh, something is happening to the elements, but I think Paul and, and what we see for, from John here is something different. That not, not something is happening to the, the elements are becoming Jesus. We are becoming part of his body. We are participating in his life, and something is being changed within us. And I know that Luther and Calvin and a lot of the reformers, they believed that something happened at the communion table, that this was an invisible sign, or sorry, a visible sign of God's invisible grace, uh, and something is being formed in us. Just as we believe something is happening at baptism, we are united to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Something is happening at this communion table. We are being united to the body of believers and to the body of Christ. Um, this is um, a powerful moment. Uh, the communion table is where Christ is actually formed in us, whether it's weekly or it's monthly. This is a remaking of the covenant that God gave to us in the New Testament. Uh, the the uh, communion table is, a, is, is kind of a a little bit of a fulfillment of what happened in the Passover in the Old Testament. In the Passover celebration, it was a Passover feast, and Jesus was actually celebrating the Passover feast with his disciples when he instituted a new feast, this, uh, this uh, new covenant, this new testament um, of his body and his blood. But in the Old Testament, it was uh, remembering that the angel of death had passed over the Israelites and not killed their firstborns in the last plague in Egypt when they had put blood of the lamb over their doorposts. The blood of the lamb is what gave them life. And John says that, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the new lamb who saves our lives and gives us life. He is now the blood over the doorposts of our hearts. Uh, and so, yeah, someone famously said, the Eucharist makes the church. So it is in this sense that as we come to the sacrament that we participate in the reality of who God is, and we become one together, and something happens to us, that we are the church, that we become the church together. Uh, in Galatians 4.19, Paul says, My little children, with whom I again in travail until Christ be formed in you. 
You see, we have this need for Christ to be formed in us. We need him and his life. There is no life outside of him. And so Christ, through the Eucharist, is giving us his life. Christ, through the Eucharist, is planting the seeds of eternal life within us, as John 6 says, within our bodies. And those seeds will grow with the power of the Holy Spirit uh, until Christ is fully formed in us. And through the Eucharist, through receiving Christ into our bodies, we become one with him. And so this is why I think communion is so important, that we recognize the connection between what's happening here at the table and the body of Christ and what God is doing in the world, how he uh, instituted the church. The church was in his plan from the very beginning to bring people back to himself in participation and in union and in communion with God. God's plan is to restore all things. And this Eucharistic celebration is where we come and we participate in the restoration of all things, uh, uniting ourselves to God and to one another. It has to be vertical and horizontal at the same time. You can't be just vertical with you and God. It has to be horizontal. That's why Jesus said, love God and love people is the greatest commandment, not just love God. And so this is a celebration. I, I do want to emphasize that because uh, nowadays we seem to just kind of come up and take it solemnly, and we need to ask the Lord to forgive our sins uh, and, and uh, take this with a pure heart and a pure conscience. But also, uh, back to the early days, the Eucharistic Thanksgiving feast was a celebration. And so to come to this uh, with Thanksgiving, recognizing who God is and what he's doing in us, and what his plan and purposes for the world are in us. As we come together, uh, you know, Jesus said that they, the, church, the world, will know you are my disciples because of your love for one another. Uh, and so that's, again, what we're doing here, participating in God's plan for the world. Um, and so what I want us to do now is just uh, uh, wait on the Lord and, and listen to him and... Um, let him speak to you uh, about his sacrifice here and the thanksgiving that we're bringing and the church becoming one and us becoming one body with Christ. And, and uh, as I do that, I don't know if the band is coming up, but um, we can, uh, let me say the words of the institution and we can uh, start with communion. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. When he had given thanks, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 